This is The Immigrant View, a podcast for immigrants by immigrants. Welcome to the show. The Immigrant View is brought to you by ImmigrantNetworks.com. Hello, everyone. It's a great pleasure being here with you. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, my name is Aya Owaduni, and welcome to the Immigrant View podcast. This podcast is for immigrants by immigrants, um, immigrant allies, and everyone that loves the whole immigrant story in life. Um, thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thanks for those that are always sending messages. In fact, I made an error a few weeks ago on one of the podcasts. And within an hour, someone sent me a message. You made an error on the podcast. You know, we're trying to listen to the topic here. Uh, So to that individual, you know who you are. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate you for that. And for everyone else that listens and provides feedback, shares their stories from across the world at this point. Um, It's humbling. It's exciting. And it's making me more... Uh, I'm making sure I identify and I think through the guests and the topics that we go through to ensure that it's adding value to you. Uh, So thank you for holding me accountable to that. I do appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship. We're going to be talking about entrepreneurship from an immigrant's perspective. Uh, And not just an immigrant's perspective, we're bringing the intersectionality up in this today, where we're looking at... um, a female entrepreneur who is doing some really amazing things, who is raising some money as well um, for her products. Uh, And and I think this would be a great conversation that we could have. We're going to be just talking about her story around entrepreneurship. But then also, um, I don't know if I can call her a second generation immigrant, uh, but we'll talk about that. The child of an immigrant, I guess would be a better way to put it. What are the challenges around that? And as parents, what do we need to do? Uh, so let me introduce who the person is first. Her name is Nadia Ladakh. She is the co-founder of um, of Marlo. Did I say that properly, Marlo? Yes. Okay, fantastic. And um, Marlo is uh, a product, uh, a better tampon product, and she's going to be talking about that in more detail uh, really, really soon. So uh, it's a pleasure having you. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited for today's conversation. Absolutely. So let's start out first. We'd love to hear your story. You are the child of an, I had a chance to talk to your, your dad and he connected me with you. Like you need to talk to my daughter, which is quite <laughs> exciting. And then I read about you and I'm like, I need to talk to her too. Um, tell us more about yourself, your story. And um, yeah. And how did you venture into Marlowe? Definitely. So my name is Nadia. I'm very excited to be here today. Um, As mentioned, my parents both immigrated to Canada. I was born here. And so they obviously faced a lot of different challenges growing up. And I think as a second generation Canadian, you face your own set of challenges as well. Um, But I was very lucky. My parents were very supportive and and helped me throughout my journey. So I went to the Ivy Business School at Western, um, studied business there. 
after graduating, worked in management consulting at KPMG, was working specifically in our retail division, which was a very exciting team to work on and definitely learned a lot through that experience. Um, then decided to make the jump over to work full-time at Marlowe. So I am one of the founders and we have developed the first lubricant and tampon designed to be used together for really smooth, comfortable insertion. Um, so it's been a really exciting journey and I'm sure I'll talk a bit more about Marlowe and, and what that's been. But outside of Marlowe, I'm also really passionate about giving back to the community. So I'm involved with an organization called Junior Achievement. We help young high school students learn about entrepreneurship and to start their own small businesses. As well, I'm involved with a children's hospital called Holland Blurview Children's Hospital, where I used to volunteer and work directly with clients. But now I'm more on the fundraising side to help increase awareness of the hospital and advocate for some of their priorities. Um, and then outside of that, I also love to be outside, to read, um, and to play music. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Thanks for yeah giving us a, a broader view of, 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 of yourself. So yeah, let's talk about Marlo. How did you venture into this? Uh, from what I read online, it started out as just a project in class, and it's gone beyond that to the point where you're raising funding at this point. Definitely. So we started in our last year at business school. We are taking an entrepreneurship course and we had to come up with an idea that we wanted to do in our last year. And so I remember our professors advised us that we should start with the problem. And once we identified a problem, then we could come up with a solution. So we were going about our week and thinking about different problems. And I happened to be menstruating that week. And I thought, you know, there's not much innovation in this space. And with all of the things happening in AI and tech and, and consumer products, like so many different places were having innovation, but menstrual products were just being ignored and they hadn't really changed in the last 90 years. So I thought this is a really exciting space that we could explore. The branding was very overly feminine. Um, there wasn't a lot of inclusivity and there just seemed like there could be room for improvement. So I brought it up to my co-founders and one of my co-founders shared that another pain that she experiences is the painful insertion of tampons. And she's a very active individual. So she loves to play sports. She loves to swim. And if you can't use tampons, it makes it very difficult to be able to do that while on your period. Right. And so after hearing her story, we started to speak to other individuals and learned that many of them also experienced pain, either because of dryness, because of medical conditions, maybe they had a lighter flow. And so we really saw the opportunity to build this tampon and lubricant combination and create a more smoother, comfortable insertion process. Mm. Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, so you, at, at some point, you know, you finish business school, you start working at KPMG. And something I find that is quite interesting, by the way, Nadia, is uh, this was more pertaining to people in Nigeria. I knew a lot of people that worked in, should I call it the big four, but many ended up venturing into their own businesses after working a few years at the big four. So there's something that goes on there that <laughs> empowers people or gives you that knowledge and boldness to start your own thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But so you leave KPMG, and then you decided to focus on this fully. What was that transition like for you? Um, and what was that conversation like with your parents? 
Yes, I think that would, that's a very interesting story because both my parents immigrated to Canada. So obviously they had challenges they faced and they worked very hard to establish themselves and get their career started. So when I brought up the idea of leaving the stable corporate job, which they worked so hard for, to be able to go and do something on my own, understandably, it was a bit of a shock factor at first for them. And um, they were very kind of surprised of, you know, they worked so hard to get their stable corporate jobs. Why would I want to leave something that they've worked so hard for? Um, And so I think it was a very interesting conversation at first, but now I'm very lucky that they've been so supportive. They're like my biggest cheerleaders now, and they really came around. And I think we kind of flipped our mindset in that, you know, people who are second generation Canadians might experience this pressure that, you know, my parents have sacrificed so much for me and they've worked so hard. So I need to live up to that expectation, but we can almost flip it and say, they've worked so hard, they sacrificed, and now they're giving me the opportunity and the privilege to live out my passions and to maybe take more of these risks that they were not afforded because we are in a more comfortable position and because they've sacrificed and they've worked hard. Now I have that luxury and that privilege to maybe take some of these risks that they weren't as willing to be able to do for themselves. Absolutely. You know, when I looked at the data of um, the profile, rather people that listen to this podcast, uh, I would say uh, not much over 40 years old, recently um, emigrated here to Canada. So I would say possibly kids are still under the age of, let's say, 10 years old or something. What is your advice for them? Uh, Now you're an older, uh, should I say second generation immigrants and our kids, my son is six and my daughter is two years old. What's your advice for us as we raise them? I think their tendency, just like you're saying, is I want to want, I want the best for them. Mm -hmm. So I want them to be as safe as possible. take the safest uh, routes. But you now went the other way completely, (laughs) you know, and said, no, I'm going to take the risk just like you, you did uh, mommy and daddy. So what's your advice for, for parents? I think being open to allowing the children to explore their passions, because of course, maybe their passion will end up in something a bit more of a corporate job, but you know, there's all these trends around startups, around entrepreneurship. So being open to that idea of doing something a bit more non-traditional, if they if they bring it up and they're excited about that. So I think providing the space and the opportunity for them to pursue non-traditional internships, to pursue extracurriculars that might not be exactly what you were envisioning for them because they can open up opportunities and find things that they're passionate about. Um, So I think really supporting them throughout that process and seeing what it is that they want to do. I read this book called The Defining Decade by Meg Jay, and it explored this idea of gaining identity capital. So as long as they're doing something that's contributing to their experience, they're gaining that identity capital, allow them to explore and see that's what the 20s and and the young teen years are supposed to be about. That's powerful. Growing up in Nigeria, I think there was, a, I believe there was a culture where many of us didn't start work until post-university, you know, uh, that was just not something that we did as a culture. The kids didn't work. Uh, in comparison to over here, you're a teenager, there's an opportunity to work at McDonald's, uh, work at um, Starbucks and make some money for yourself. So I think there's a tendency in the back of our minds where, no, let's wait till the kids you know, I've graduated college. My job is to get them up to that level. But there's an opportunity, like you're saying, for them to be able to start exploring, um, learning, exposing themselves and building their identity. I think that's really powerful what you're what you're sharing. Thanks for uh, thanks for opening our minds to that. That seems uh, very, very powerful. 
What was it like growing up at home? I think it was incredible. I think my parents were very supportive and they did provide that environment where I could explore passions. So I was very involved in music growing up. I was in almost every choir at my school and I participated in musical theater. I played piano, played guitar. So I think having an environment where my parents allowed me to explore my passions and to find hobbies that interested me, that really benefited me because I actually decided to study music in my first two years of university before pursuing business school. And I think that actually provided me with a big advantage because I was able to use the creativity and the self-expression and the public speaking skills that I gained in an arts program and combine that with the analytical and the financial kind of acumen that I gained in business school. So it was definitely very exciting that I was able to combine both of those passions and those interests in my educational field. Fantastic. Uh, my, um, one of my mentors was sharing with me, um, he owns a, a real estate company. They're doing really well uh, in, 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 uh, in their industry. He has like a billion dollar um, valuation for his company. And I was asking, so how did you get him to real estate? And he said, my dad started me out at the age of 10. I'm like, what do you mean? And he was like, yeah, when his dad was working on properties, uh, he was side by side with his dad. Yes, he took him forever to knock a nail in, but his dad exposed him to that environment from the age of 10, that by the time he was a teenager, he knew exactly how to handle properties. And by the time he started to work, you know, he was doing real estate on the side. So for him, this became second nature. And it really challenged me. And I'm looking at my six-year-old son like, I'm getting you out there real soon, boy. <laughs> <laughs> We are not playing with you. We're going to get you out there as soon as you can do, get some things going. <laughs> Let's talk about Marlo a bit more. Uh, you, you've, you've raised some funding. I would love to hear your thoughts around what was that like as a female entrepreneur? Uh, did you face any challenges in that area? Um, and what should female entrepreneurs, uh, immigrants, uh, they're looking to venture into entrepreneurship from their jobs what should they expect and look out for as they venture into entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. I think there's two things here. So for our fundraising journey, we were on top of being female founders. We were also in a very stigmatized space. So menstrual and sexual health is not something that's talked about. It's very taboo. And it's something that when we were pitching to male investors, they didn't have any experience in. And so we had to go into rooms, well, virtually, of course, virtual rooms, and be able to do pitches and say words like, vagina, period, tampon, and we could visibly see people getting uncomfortable, getting out of their element. And we had to be confident to talk about our problem, to talk about our product and the solution we had, even when someone didn't have any experience with it. So we started to find ways to describe the problem for someone who maybe didn't have any experience with the problem. So things like talking about analogies, like trying to insert a contact without solution and comparing that to inserting a tampon when it's very dry and uncomfortable or wow. describing customer feedback and saying, okay, maybe you don't have never used the product, but look at what our customers are saying about our product or look at this data that we've collected about how many people this has helped and how many people would recommend this product to a friend. So especially for people who are going into maybe an industry that is very hard to explain to other people, you need to find those anecdotes, those analogies, those customer feedback to present to investors to show them, okay, maybe you haven't experienced the problem firsthand, but this is a way to describe it. And what then, go ahead. Yeah. Continue. 
No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, what captured their attention? Well, was it, these are the number of people that have this problem? This is, um, like, what was it that captured the, uh, the attention of investors to say, this is something that I want to put my money in? Mm-hmm. I think it's a combination of a few factors. So the problem that you're solving, is it something that is actually a lot of people are experiencing that problem? And, you know, there's testimonies and there's things that show that people have that problem. Have you come up with a good solution that is maybe has IP or is has not been done before, is very innovative? Why now? Why is it now the right time to come to market? And what is the traction? So how many customers do you have? Have you built a community online of like on social media? Do you have a a good blog where people are coming and visiting you? So having kind of those initial points of traction that can demonstrate to an investor, I know it's early, but look at all these people who are already excited about the product. Fantastic. You know, I I took an MBA in entrepreneurship and I love you've, you've, you took like a, a three-month course and you've 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 shoved a lot of it into this podcast so please for the listeners Nadia is dropping a lot of amazing nuggets initially you talked about what problem first not the idea but what problem are you facing um mm-hmm. you've talked about um the, the raising of the money you didn't just leave school and start the business there was some time of working so I'm sure there was a way of saving and ensuring you take care of yourself before you venture into this. Um, there's a lot that you've talked about, and you've highlighted that I think is very powerful. Please go back and listen to this over and over and over again uh, <laughs> so that you can just catch some of those things that, though it was just mentioned in passing, but there's a lot of nuggets and, and, and really powerful, profound uh, words and processes and phrases that uh, uh, Nadia had mentioned. How did you find investors for your um for 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 this idea and more importantly what would you say has been the ratio of the pitches and then uh to the people that said huh i'm interested let's have coffee so i can learn more oh yeah that's a good question um so in terms of finding the investors it was kind of a combination of people within our own network and then people who we did cold outreach to So in terms of within our own network, I think that is always the best way to get an introduction. If you either know someone or maybe an alumni from your school that you can reach out to, or maybe it's like a couple connections away. So you know someone who knows someone, that's always the easiest way to get your foot in the door. So trying to look through your network, trying to find opportunities for those warm introductions is always the easiest way. But of course, we were new grads. We didn't have maybe the most powerful network yet. And so we had to do a lot of cold outreach as well. Um, And so in terms of doing the cold outreach, finding people who are already investing in your space, look at people who are similar to you, who are offering a similar product and see who invested in them. Um, For us, we're in consumer products. So we tried to find angel investors who are very actively in consumer products, who are maybe in direct to consumer, who are investing in female founders, find people who are interested and then reach out to them, send that personalized message that says, I've seen you've invested in these other companies, this is what we're offering. Would you be open to a 15 minute introductory call? And most of the time they are open to that call. I mean, of course, you're going to get some rejection along the way, but most of the time they're at least open to that introductory call so that you can talk about your business, talk about what you've done to date, and then maybe it will lead to things in the future. Um, And I think we probably did 
around like 50 pitches before we got our investors. So it takes time. I think there's a stat that the average pre-seed round can take six to 12 months to raise. So I know it's a draining process and we were definitely facing challenges throughout that process, but you have to stay motivated. You have to believe in the product that you have and know that you'll find the right fit in terms of the investors. They will come along and you just have to be patient. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. So there are four leaders of your your business. Um, Would love to hear more about how did you, now I know it started as a project. So was it the same four people that started the project that has continued through, or did you look to recruit and find other people? And how did you all divvy up, number one, the share splitting uh, of the organization? And also, um, how did you decide who did what? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what questions what my, my guests, I mean, my uh, listeners will have. So trying to just pull as, as much as possible for them to learn through this process as well. Definitely. So it was actually the four people who were working on the project. We are now working full-time on the business. So we met in business school. We actually met in our first year of university. We were um, orientation leaders together, like orientation mentors in our residence buildings. And we're friends from there, um, took different courses together, and then eventually started Marlowe. So I've known them for quite a while now, which is nice. They're some of my closest friends. And in terms of finding the roles, we all naturally had different strengths, which made it very easy to determine who is going to do what. Um, One of our founders is very great at graphic design, very great at creative direction, branding. So she naturally took that marketing role. Um, One is very analytical, very good with understanding numbers. And so she took more of the financial role. And then one is very extroverted, very good at making connections, forming relationships. So she naturally took that stakeholder management CEO type of role. So it was really great that we all had our own strengths and were able to support each other, to challenge one another, to continue to grow and to continue to build our experiences. Was that a tough conversation, by the way? Uh, who who picked what? Who uh, who did what in terms of um, areas of responsibilities? It actually wasn't too hard of a conversation because I think the nice part about startups is that you do get to wear a lot of hats. And even though we have our own areas of focus, we all help each other out and we get to learn about other areas of the business that maybe we're not directly responsible for. So I think although we have those areas of focus, we do try to learn about other people's areas and help them out and support them. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And how, how would you say Marlo has been doing so far and where do you see it in the next five years? It's been going well so far. We finally released our product. Um, We had to get it approved by Health Canada. So that was an interesting process navigating through the regulatory space, which was something we didn't have experience in at first, but now have learned a lot throughout that process. Um, We are starting to grow our community even more. That's always been something that's a priority for us is that education and reducing the stigma around menstrual and sexual health. And so continuing to do workshops, um, education on social media, on our blog, on our TikTok to continue to spread the word. And I think in the upcoming years, some of the focuses we want to do is expansion. So we're expanding to the U.S. We want to expand outside of North America as well. We also want to develop some new products. We want to be that one-stop shop for menstrual and sexual wellness. So releasing new innovative products and pushing the standards of what is out there, taking people off of autopilot and bringing in new products that they never would have expected before. And then also growing our team. I think we've been lucky to have such a great team of supporters so far, some great investors, great advisors and mentors, but continuing to grow our internal team to take it to the next level. Wonderful. At what point did you put together a board? 
uh, and, and I'm not necessarily a board of directors, maybe just to focus on just the board of advisors and advisory board so far. What was that like for, for you all? Yeah, right now we have more of an informal board that we meet with monthly um, to kind of share some of the challenges we're facing and see if they can provide advice and provide support. Um, they kind of came a bit more organically. We had started to have some advisors who helped us, who we met through different accelerators that we've done and through different programs, and then kind of trying to build a diverse board that has experiences in different areas, whether it be marketing, finance, strategy, and then bring them all together in a room to say, okay, here's some of the things we're facing at Marlowe. Here's our progress to date. How can you help us out? So it kind of happened almost organically where we targeted people with different expertise and different capabilities who could help us in some of the challenges we were facing. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. I know your dad had mentioned to me some time back, um, uh, from, he's from Uganda. Um, mm -hmm came here many years ago, like you mentioned, do you still have any connections, close ties? Do you see yourself visiting Uganda and staying connected to um, the country in any way? I definitely would love to visit. It's surprising that we haven't visited yet. I really want to go visit and see where my dad grew up, see maybe if there's people we know there still. I know a lot of them have since left, but it would be nice to see and meet new people there. Um, I think hopefully if we expand and we're able to go to different countries, it would be awesome to see Marlowe being carried there and to meet with customers there. And I know personally, one of my personal goals is to contribute back to the ecosystem of entrepreneurship. So if Marlowe does well, I really want to be able to support other founders, invest in other founders, provide them with resources, um, especially people of color, women. So I would love to, you know, go and help teach about entrepreneurship and support other businesses that are in that area. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing your thoughts tonight. You know, there are times I think to myself, you know, my kids, will they ever go back to Nigeria? Will they ever stay connected uh, with their cousins? And, and um, even though we're doing our best to take them there to visit regularly, when they become teenagers, would they be interested in even going back? So that's always been something that has been in the back of my mind, that sense mm -hmm. of, yes, I am out of the country but does that mean the children will completely uh, be separated? But something for all listeners to think about as well um, as our kids grew up in, in, in the new countries. But thank you so much, Nadia, for being a part of the conversation. Uh, I feel like you squeezed um, MBA, an MBA in entrepreneurship program <laughs> in 20-something minutes. You talk marketing, raising money, you know, identifying a problem, uh, you, you, a board, like you threw so much in. Thank you so much for doing that. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to share some thoughts and I'm looking forward to staying connected. And if anyone ever has any thoughts, ideas, feedback, questions, feel free to reach out. And by the way, if anyone is looking to buy the product, where can they go to purchase it? Yes. So our product is available at wearemarlo.com. It's purchased online and it gets shipped straight through your, to your door. It can be a subscription model as well if you want to always be prepared for your product. So check out our website. You can also follow us on Instagram at Marlo, M-A-R-L-O-W, um, or on TikTok as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Nadia. Have a fantastic day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Why don't you do us a favor and share this podcast with a friend or colleague? The Immigrant View is brought to you by ImmigrantsNetworks.com. Hi, I'm Nick Narani, founder and CEO of Immigrant Networks. Listen, if you're an immigrant or an international student, 
looking to find a job and expand your network in Canada, Immigrant Networks is for you. Immigrant Networks, we say, networking to get working. It is a community built by immigrants just like you to help you overcome one of the biggest challenges that immigrants have when they come here, and that is finding and retaining a job. Visit our website today and get matched within days with someone from your profession and learn and grow. Immigrant Networks, networking to get working. Music provided by bentsound.com.